getting any snow at all tony no we're not gonna get any snow this year at all because mm. i know they're getting some in virginia they they forecasted one inch of snow here and i think we're up to like 10 inches where i am well they, they just were off by one zero order <laughs> 10 but decimals are important yeah that's yeah. why, that's well, why more now, people need to take intro to rock with uh pat and not intro to rock with yeah. me yeah. Well, we, I mean, the groundhog, the groundhog saw a shadow, did not see a shadow. So, you know, no snow in North Carolina. Good for me. What's his name again? Huxatani Phil. Thank you. Thank you. I did hear there was one more day of winter this year. <laughs> it, it was yesterday. What? Or it's uh, February 29th. When is it? In, yeah, February 29th. I, I, for some reason, I thought it was already the end of February. I wish. <laughs> Right. All sorts of weird things. By the way, did you hear they moved the starting time for the Cleveland Guardians home opener back an hour because of the eclipse? Yeah, we were looking into doing that, but then we thought um, here in Ohio uh, we're gonna get the we're gonna get the um, totality of the eclipse, and so we were looking at different things to do. Um, and we looked at the at going to the Guardians game, um, and both uh, both. Uh, my husband's mom and my parents live in totality too. Um, and uh, we live in a development and have like a quarter of an acre, but the people behind us have five acres. So I was just going to reach out to them and be like, can we use a little corner of your yard? Um, so we have, we have kind of different plans for depending on what the weather is like, because both of our boys are out of school for that day. They canceled. And I heard it was because so many people had already called in to cancel. Yeah, I think they're doing a teacher's work day where Diana is at Westerville, so the students are out. But you're probably at about 98% totality where you are. And I think we're about 95 because we're a bit further. I, I was under the assumption that all major league stadiums had lights now. I don't think it was so much that. It was like the traffic that's going to be from people getting there early and everything like that. <clears throat> As yeah, a, was, they as can a, still play the game. They can turn the lights on. They don't have to care about it being darker out. As a Tampa native, I was under the assumption that nobody went to baseball games. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to a Red Sox game this this summer. Oh, that'd be cool. I'm totally, I'm totally psyched about it. Yeah. In Fenway. Yeah. It's, it's a, really, a lot it's of a, good food around it. A lot of good yeah, food. It's an interesting stadium. The whole layout is just so different than any place else. It's like what the, that and Wrigley are the only two like old timey stadiums. I think so. Yeah, around anymore. Yeah. So so how about that uh brass band? What? <laughs> no, yeah, we so far we've yet to talk about brass band. So <laughs> I see that you're wearing that. You're wearing your Naba shirt. I mm-hmm. I am, and I'm I have guinea pig hairs all over the Naba hoodie. That's the that's the problem with having a black hoodie, because um, they held the pigs this morning, and and they're partially white. So, you know. <laughs> well, that's that's a good segue into uh, introducing our guest Patrick Herrick, who is the current president of the North American Brass Band Association, and we're going to talk about. Anything we can talk about, North American Brass Band Association and beyond. So thanks for uh, being with us, Patrick. 
Uh, happy to be here. So yeah. here's what I want. Somebody define what this event is. What the Which North event? Brass Band the, the North American Brass Band Championships that we call NABA. That does have a the abbreviation that we call the event does not even have a C in it. Yeah, it's NABIC. NABIC. <laughs> NABIC. Yeah. But then you couldn't do NABA Dabba Do. <laughs> you could not. NABIC Abba Do. Never, never doesn't ring. It doesn't work. It doesn't have the same ring. Yeah. Well, there's, I think, multiple parts to it. Um, it starts off with a solo and ensemble contest on the Friday morning. Uh, so, you know, variety of youth solos, 10 pieces, uh, brass ensembles, percussion ensembles, percussion soloists. Uh, and I guess to start off the night before is typically a NABA board meeting where we get together for our official annual meeting that's in person. Uh, and then the band contest is the next two days and bands play a set piece in a known choice part of the program. Some of the sections are split between the two days uh, so that they'll play the set piece on the Friday and then the own choice portion on the Saturday. And for the own choice portion, just so you know, it doesn't have to be a single test piece. You can do multiple pieces if you want, as long as it stays within the time limit. And uh, it usually in the past, there had been a gala concert, but I think with championship section bands playing their own choice piece on the Saturday evening, they're playing at such a high level, it's difficult to find a gala band that could perform at that level. And so that's been kind of the top entertainment. And we do the solo yeah. awards on the Friday evening and the band awards on the Saturday evening. And uh, that's kind of part of the weekend. Uh, there's an exhibitor area where people can try out instruments and mouthpieces. And we also sometimes have clinics in there. Um, I believe we have a couple clinicians this year, and I know the University of Toronto will be doing a little presentation about their university and if, for people that want to attend there. Uh, we're still hoping to maybe get a few other universities to participate. Um, but it's really, I think, a lot of chance for just bands, people from across uh, North America to to join together. Um, still haven't gotten any bands from Belize yet. You know, that is part of North America. Um, <laughs> But uh, and then this year with things in Huntsville, I don't think we have any Canadian bands. Um, the, the main representation is University of Toronto, I think, with their booth. Um, but uh, we, I've always know. loved that. I always loved back in the day when they did the gala concert. Um, you know, it's it just like, wow, what a culmination. And they always had some really good, fun bands to listen to. But, you know, there were 20 bands at NABA then. But I think the biggest obstacle to it to a, a gala concert is just time in the schedule. You know, like the only time in the schedule we could do it would be Sunday. And, you know, everybody uses that as a travel day to get home from that. So it, it doesn't, you know, it'd be really, really tricky. I can't figure out in my head logistically how to actually make a gala concert happen. But I think in Fort Wayne, the championship section own choice was on the Sunday one time. And there was almost no audience because almost all the bands had left. Uh, yeah, I think the other thing, too, is even just looking forward to Fort Wayne next year, um, there are three venues in Fort Wayne we could use. And I think that's something we may have to consider, because how many bands do we have at NABA this year? Tony's at 39. We have the largest attendance ever, 39 bands. Yeah, and I can imagine in Fort Wayne, especially with some of the new bands that have popped up in the Michigan area, the bands from Canada, um, if you get 50 bands scheduling wise, with two venues, that might be a bit of a challenge because we're a little tight this year, aren't we? Um, it's it's not. We have some capacity, but it just depends on where they where they line up. You know, with fourteen bands in the second section, 
that's using up quite a bit of hall space. But you know, if you add, if we added three more bands in the first section, three more bands in the championship section, then we would not be able to, under our current formula, we would not be able to fit them all in one hall in the same day for for the Saturday. So we would just have to re reimagine the the hall usage. It would it would get tricky. Well, let's talk about that for a second too. Fourteen bands in the second section. You know, I think a lot of times the growth of brass banding is measuring by how do the top bands do. Um, but 14 bands in one section, that's probably definitely more than Wales, probably more than the northeast of England uh, or North England, um, probably more than Scotland. You know, that's that's uh, just mind blowing uh, to me. Yeah, the, the last time um, we had our largest attendance, which was 2019, we had 38 bands. And there were 12 bands in the second section. You know, so we so we've topped that this year in both ways. Um, but it it is really an indicator that you know the second section is where the bulk of you know American brass British style brass bands are are at right now. There, that's the that's the level that most bands tend to be in. Yeah, I kind of equate it to um, like college football, right? Because we all you know we get really excited about like what is going on with the championship section and all those bands that have been established up there. <clears throat> and I, you know, I might get shot by some people for, for this opinion, but like <laughs> I, as somebody who graduated from an sec school, the sec football is not a lot of fun to watch. There's like two teams that are really going at it and then the rest, but the Sun Belt is a whole heck of a lot of fun and it's way more competitive. And I would say like, in terms of the entertainment value, the first section is terrifyingly entertaining every year because of how well those bands just play and are like so close to each other in an ability level um that i think if you're just like oh if like you have the mindset of like oh the championship section is all the like the only one that's going to be a worth an entertainment value you are so wrong <laughs> in that the other thing i would argue too is that some of the best literature is in the first section um yeah. i know i i sit in occasionally on like the test piece selection uh meetings and look at what they have there and it's like the list of first section pieces to choose from is, I think, by far the biggest list out of any section. Um, and, and then there's just so much fun stuff in there. And even when you start to look at uh, like pieces from underrepresented composers, um, there's more first section pieces than anything else. Yeah. And the second section repertoire is, the, is probably some of the more challenging to select because of, you know, just trying to get it to fit into that to that level of band right there. And the music is usually too hard or too easy and it's it's right in that on that line where you have to, to filter it in there <clears throat> and and i also think that the second section bands are all you know more evenly comparable to each other in skill and in skill level you know like i like the championship section i think there's a greater gap between first and seventh place than i than it will be in the second section where there's the gap between first and 14th place it's going to be a real challenge to to judge that. I do think I uh, just for somebody who runs and organizes one of the second section bands, I do think Albin has hit it out of the park. I think that is a perfect that hits in the perfect spot. Albinus variations. Yeah, well, I like it. Yeah, we really literally cool. we sight read when we sight read it, everybody was like, this is so much more easier and approachable than Hope was, but it's not quite as easy and like Salvation Army, sorry, like Podunky, you know, ho-hummy as as the the personal. So like everybody's really jazzed about this one. I think they nailed it with this one. 
Yeah. I, 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 in retrospect, you know, hope is really a first section piece. Um, it's not really a second section piece. And that's one of the things that I've been, you know, kind of working really hard within the music committee is to make sure that we, the second and the third section pieces are appropriately leveled, you know, because even, even the year we did, did hope we did a painos by Joel Collier as the third section piece. And that piece was too hard for the third section. You know, if you were, you know, coming from the perspective of a new band that was going to Nava for the first time and you're entering the third section, you would have to have a an incredibly good e plus soprano player to play a painos. I mean, you know, most third section bands that just will struggle to find a player of that caliber. You needed a championship or first section level e flat soft player. You know, so we worked really hard to make sure that the third section is is a, a easier and more approachable for entry-level bands and inexperienced bands. And the second kind of, you know, then you, then you have the first section where it's, it's almost championship. It's, it's 25 years ago, championship level music, which where the bands are there. And then the second section equally distributed in the middle of those two, you know, and that's what we worked really hard. And we did that. I thought the personal variation helped us with that a lot. And Albinus also really put it in the same, the same area for that. So so the, the levels are really evened out now. So a few weeks ago, Foden's played Hope on the Friday night at the RNCM Festival of Brass. And uh, I was talking to some of them afterwards because there was another piece I thought might be a good lower section test piece. And they said, what about, you know, Hope for, I think the first section, I was like, well, that was our second section test piece last year. And they're like, well, how did, how did that go? <laughs> well, said, if you look at it, if you look at like the notes and rhythms, it's not. It doesn't look like it's that part of a piece, but conceptually and like putting it together, it's one of those pieces. So like putting it together is actually the, the bitch of the situation. That's really where it's hard. Yeah. I liken it to the Von Williams tuba concerto. Like it's the, you look at it and you're like, this isn't that hard. Most tuba players can play it. Even good high schoolers can play it. But have you ever heard anybody perform it and nail it? You know, for some reason, it just seems to really, there's always pitfalls in there that makes it just really hard to put it all together. You know, and, that's, and I think hope hope was like that. And that's what sometimes makes the best test pieces is, yeah, you can play it, but can you make music out of it? And yeah. That's the question. Yeah. So that that's that's going to be a you know, you know that we we are going to make sure that we we level set the pieces in the right place. And I think we, I think we have a really good lineup this year for that with the new St. James piece by Philip Harper and. uh you know, other lives. A, is it? yeah, other lives, other lives is wow. What a spectacular piece that is, you know, that, that Friday night listening of, you know, seven or eight of those in a row is going to be, you know, that's good listening right there. Uh, I'm, I'm afraid to say this with, with a past NABA president and the current NABA president, but I think that St. James and, uh, and hope, uh, are, are, <laughs> are pretty much the same level. Yeah. <laughs> um, St. James, I think, I think the challenge in first section is going to be who I, I think that the first section bands are probably going to be able to play it really well. And it's just going to be who can elevate it to the next level because everyone is going to be able to play it. It's easier well, than, than yeah. last year for sure. Um, well, yeah, you're the, the dragon. Yeah. <laughs> You know. the dragon. Yeah. Um, so I, I, it was, it's a little bit, it was, it was funny after year of the dragon and then getting our test piece this year. Uh, and it was like, Oh, Oh, we can do this. 
Pieces. Yeah, year of the year of the dragon was was interesting because it was one of those things that you just an opportunity that you just couldn't pass up. Yeah, you know because nobody you know nobody has performed it at NABA in four years, mm-hmm. so it didn't it met our qualifications for being selected as a test piece. And the last time it was used as a test piece in any competition was like what 1992 or something. And like, like it's like everybody loves this piece and everybody plays it, but the but only choice selections get to use it. Because, mm-hmm. So you can't use it as a test piece. And it's like, well, we can use it as a test piece now. So it's well, okay. It's you know there are elements of it that are championship section and there are elements of it that are second section, you know. And it's another one that kind of fits on the line there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's either too hard or it's either too easy and it's not completely you know on that level like St. James is you know but it was it was too good to, it was too good to pass up we had to do it Tony so do you think had to suffer through it do you think that's a a challenge with the test piece selection committee that as we get more bands at NABA that means say there's eight bands in a section that means there's been 32 own choice test pieces over the past four years which really uh, you know, takes takes away possibilities for what can be the set piece. Or if there's uh, 14 and 12 sections in 12 bands in a section, you start to get up to, you know, I know there's repeats, but well, I yeah, I mean that's the repeat element is the thing that you know you think you could potentially have 32, but from year to year, like somebody plays Kingdom of Dragons this year, someone's going to play it next year. Somebody, the three bands played Patriots last year, two bands are playing it this year. You know, so it it it, it doesn't. You know, the, the same pieces get used all the time, especially if they're successful. If people are winning with those pieces, another band's going to use it. Kingdom of Dragons is one of those pieces that people win when they play that piece. It's a winner type of uh, test piece that people use as a choice piece. I mean, it's like a lot of us, um, a lot of us who are, you know, the artistic directors or music directors of some of these bands, especially on the like the lower section bands. Um the seconds and thirds, the, the easiest thing to do is like, okay, so how do I figure? Cause it's, we have the same problems that the selection committee has for finding a test piece is like, you know, what does fit us, you know? And so we, you know, we go to brass band results and see what they've been doing in those exact sections in Europe. Yeah. And I'm sure a lot of bands, that's, that's kind of the first stop for that yeah, to find that out. Yeah, it absolutely is. And, you know, the interesting thing about how this all plays out in the, the, the changing landscape, of NAB is when when we had to play your choice piece and your test piece in the same program, the selection of of the choice piece to complement the test piece was very important. And I don't I don't know how many how many artistic directors really understood that that when when the human brain processes an entire performance for a score, you know, the things had to, it had to be cohesive. Like if you took the judge on a musical journey throughout those two pieces it probably had a better effect on where you place. But now, since you perform them on separate days, that's irrelevant. It, do, it has no bearing on what you select as a choice piece. All you have to do is pick a piece that's good for your band. It doesn't have to complement the other, the other piece, which is, you know, which is another interesting element to it. It's like, well, we, now we can do anything. And because you're playing it on two separate days, you don't have to plan something that's going to be work within your band's endurance level. You can, you don't have to play a 30 minute performance. You only have to play a 15 minute performance. So it cha- it's, you know, it's changing the landscape and, and how things, things get selected for the bands. And I do think the endurance not being a factor may 
I don't know the best way to say this, but may make it more difficult to see which is the better band, so to speak. Um, but you get much more enjoyable performances to listen to because the bands are fresh for both pieces. Yes. Yeah. The performance is going to be better. And and I don't think it's a bad thing to make it harder on the judges, you know, because that's, that's kind of the point is we want the bands to grow and get better, you know, so, you know, so yeah, make it tough on the judges, make it challenging for them to pick a winner, you know? So there, for those who, is. that very small amount of people who, uh, are listening to this who don't know how many sections are there of bands in the competition uh we have first second third then there's an open section which is typically for new bands how many years can you do the open section is it only two years or three there's, maybe? There's, i don't think there's any limit on that it's i thought there might have been I, I don't recall there being a rule that there's a limit on that um you but know open but there's section. hardly ever a band in that section yeah, open section bands can use trumpets and French horns, I believe, still too, correct? Yeah, it's an introductory section, you know, and, 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 I, and I think that the effect of it is that when when you bring your band there and you're playing on trumpets and, and French horns and you see all these people that are playing on cornets and tenor horns, it's going to be really, it's going to be a lot of like, man, we need to get there, <laughs> you know, because it really is, it really makes a big difference. Um, and I'm and sure then, the vendors appreciate that as well. Yeah, for sure. Come here and play in this and then buy all of our horns. Um, and then we have three youth sections as well. We have a youth championship, a youth first, and a youth open, which is similar. The youth open is similar to the to the the adult open section. What technically constitutes a youth ensemble? Is it just eighteen under? Yeah, it's high school, secondary school, and under. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and 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 it's interesting because you know NABA has always defined the youth section in that way, but a lot of in the reality of things. Um, a lot of people who form youth bands, they cross mix college students and high school students, which, you know, which which kind of changes, you know, or creates, you know, a decision they have to make on whether they whether they go to NABA for the competition or what category they're in, you know, forces some of them into the third section. It could push some of them into the open section, you know. That's something we've talked about with the Dublin Festival of Brass, because with the Dublin Youth Brass Band, the Oakland Youth Brass Band, the Motor City Youth Brass Band um, in the area, we want to encourage the groups to come, but yet we still want to have some fairness in the competition. And I don't know that we've quite settled on what it'll be yet because we've only had one youth band at a time each year. But I think kind of looking at maybe like the Olympic soccer model where you can have, it's, what did they do? It's U19, but you can have five players that are above that or something like that, you know, that are U21 or something. I can't remember the exact rules, but going along something along those lines where we say, yeah, the base of it has to be high school and lower, but you could have up to five college students or something like that uh, might be might be a way to go for the regional events. But I do think for the North American Championships, keeping it 18 and under makes a lot of sense. Yeah, well, I think it's it's really about what people define it as. You know, a lot of people would say we're going to use college kids and we're going to create a youth band and then allow high school kids in it. So it's not necessarily a youth band in the way that NABA defines it, but they consider it a youth band because they're considering college kids in the youth category. But then you, you know, have, so you know, Georgia and James Madison coming in and being very competitive in their respective sections. And that's not a youth section at all. Muddy, yeah, <laughs> muddying I, up that water, you know? Yeah. I, I, I think that, you know, you're talking about definitions, not skill level. You know, I, th I think it's very, it's very clear. You have to be very clear about that is that, 
you know, we're just talking about, you know, defining what they can be so you can ensure competitive evenness. Um, and I and I do also believe, you know, as someone who has a lot of experience with youth bands, that there is a clear difference between high school players and college players, without a doubt. And I, you know, I think that when you're talking about a competitive arena, I don't think it's all that great to combine the two. You know, you shouldn't have college kids competing against high school kids the same way you shouldn't have championship section players competing against second section players in the, like with the shared player role. You know, you have you have to ensure competitive fairness by making sure that the, the appropriate people are competing against the appropriate people. And and I think that's one of the the kind of conundrums you have sometimes is you want to have competitive fairness, yet we want to grow the brass band movement as much as possible. Like in Norway, you can play in the elite band, but you can also play in your town band. And they can share players because maybe this one town doesn't have enough players. So they put out an all call and then they fill it in. Uh, with the thought that, well, if your band's rehearsing every night the week before the contest, you can't rehearse with two bands every night the week before the contest. And I I don't know the answer to it. And I think we're going to keep swinging back and forth on this pendulum a little bit. But uh, hopefully we get to a point where, you know, things just keep growing and everybody feels like it's fair. Yeah, I, I also believe that, you know, NABA is growing and growing quickly. Um, but not as fast as it would if the country were smaller, if North America was smaller. You know, our biggest obstacle is going to always be geography. I do think, though, it helps a great deal to now have a festival in Toronto, two in the Columbus area, uh, one in St. Louis, one in Texas that's growing. One, one in Kansas in City. That's growing, Kansas City. Um, there'll be one in Huntsville, I believe, uh, next year. Yeah. I think yeah, that can help keep the inertia going, uh, you know, especially like if you think of Huntsville, that'll keep the inertia going for all the bands that have started to pop up from the South that have never been to Nava until the past three contests. Right. And if they can't make it all the way up to Fort Wayne, they'll have something there that they can still participate in. Oh, yeah. And, and that's, been, that's <laughs> been a big focus of ours for the last several years, Pat, is to is to try to, to extend the landscape or access for, for bands to go to you know, some sort of brass band event within a reasonable driving distance. We still have to figure out the California thing, um, you know, which we've, we've worked on and some, just some things that didn't really work out to make it happen. But, you know, it's still on the, on the, the plan. Well, doesn't San Francisco, doesn't San Francisco host an event? Not yet. We, not yet, but someday we hope to, but they, but they make the effort to go to the, the championships, which is probably the, the most massive commitment from any band to get. I, the I talked to, yeah, I talked to Jacob and holy cow, the commitment, they have someone drive across the country every year and it's with what, the equipment like a, truck. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a three day drive. So before they even get to, to Nava, they've been driving for three days across the country and then they compete at Nava and then drive back <laughs> three days like hotels, you know. And this is a volunteer group too. They're not yes. getting paid to drive. Like when Ohio State goes to the Rose Bowl, they have a truck that drives, you know, things out west. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a huge challenge. You know, it's it's and there are a lot of bands that take on significant challenges like that, but a thousand fewer miles. <laughs> oh, also I forgot Detroit, Gettysburg, and uh 
where would you say Mid Atlantic is, Amy? Philadelphia ish? Um, it's at it's at Rowan University, which is in Glass, which is in Glassboro. It's a uh, about twenty five minutes outside of Philadelphia. Yeah. 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 So there's there's lots of brass band events to choose to go to. Well, and and going back to the youth brass band and stuff like that, and and using these regional uh these regional events i mean i know that the atlantic youth brass band participated in in middle atlantic brass band festival and and i think I, th- I think i saw uh that the Rhone university brass band also participated you know these regional events are are great for for bands like that to to remain involved and the dublin youth brass band will be playing at dublin festival of brass you know as we're building up to hopefully go to naba someday um but yeah yeah so pat you um we'll step away from that a little bit and i want to want you to talk a little bit about your trip to the the united kingdom last what last month to royal northern festival of brass yeah so i went to the rncm festival of brass which if you've never been it's just an amazing weekend across the board uh like friday night was foden's saturday uh Tradiger, i think uh, Black Dyke, uh, Trezatois from Switzerland. Sunday was Corey and Brighouse and the RNCM band, as well as some other small groups in there. The junior RNCM band played. Um, I think the nice thing about it, too, is if you didn't get to the British Open or the European Championships or the Nationals, all those test pieces get played there. Um, some of the concerts are only about an hour. Some are, you know, maybe 50 minutes, interval 50 minutes. Uh, there's solos, there's new premieres. Um, it, it, Dave Thornton has now coined it the RNCM International Festival of Brass. So there's a lot more emphasis on international music and composers. And uh, um, Dorothy Gates was one of the featured composers for the weekend. I was part of the international, I suppose, because there was a panel discussion on the future of brass band repertoire and increasing diverse society. Um, and so that was that was an exciting panel to be on with uh, uh, Sandy Smith and... Um, can we talk about that a little bit? Um, you Kenny know, what, what was that panel like? Like, how did how did they do that? Uh, well, Kenny Crookston was kind of the moderator for the panel, throwing out some questions. And, you know, some of the things they came up with is why is it so hard for the, to have test pieces written by women was one thing, because women typically don't write test pieces. And that's came up in the discussion. How can we reach a wider audience? And uh, one of uh, the things that came up was the Elevate program that they're doing through, I think it's Brass Band England, it might be, and uh, is it Freckleton Band? I think that's involved with that. Um, But they're basically teaming up uh, the Brass Band music with a drag show in Blackpool. And if you've not been to Blackpool, it's an interesting part on the the west coast of the north of England, and it's just a way to reach a different audience and to create a safe space for LGBTQ plus people, some of which are band members, other that are just in the community to introduce them to brass bands. And so just thinking about some of these different variety of events where brass bands can get exposure. I know, Amy, every year you play at the Dublin Irish Festival with the Dublin Silver Band, and I'm guessing for a lot of people that's probably either the first time they've heard a brass band or the only brass band they've ever heard because they go every year. Um, so how do we reach out in partnership and 
and uh, get involved and and uh, reach out to new audiences and bring in more people to the brass band community. Um, you know, sometimes it's easy to just play the traditional concert in the park, which is geared towards a tr traditional, more nostalgic audience. But once again, every tradition was once an innovation. So, okay. did they talk at all about um, United Kingdom's test piece selections and and the diversity that they have in that selection process? I don't know that there's much diversity in the selection process, just because of what they have. Sandy Smith was on the panel, and he's uh, one of the people on the test piece selection committee. And I think one of the things that came out of it is they actually have, I think, composers submit pieces to be selected for the test piece. We at NABA did a survey and just asked from anybody, especially those from underrepresented groups. And I think we got two test piece selections from Hannaford Publishing from female composers and everything else was, as you can imagine, the other 40 pieces or so that were sent were not from underrepresented groups. Uh, but the one problem Sandy said is that there's certain criteria that just aren't being met by the submissions. And I think transparency with what that criteria is or having mentors could really help because some of them, they just get it and it's like, that can never be a test piece or it won't fit yeah. into categories. And I, I don't know what the rubric and scoring system is for what sections like, you know, maybe for third section or fourth section, it's like you can't have more than a euphonium flugel or solo cornet solo. I have no idea, you know, but as you go up, you want to have each, section featured or each soloist featured to help separate bands. I'm not sure what that criteria is. It'd be interesting to have more of a dialogue with the people on their committee there and see if we can maybe be more transparent in this is what makes a championship section piece. This is what makes the first section piece, things like that. And then that can also help composers that aspire to write for those sections know what the rubric is so that they can try to match it. Yeah. Was there any discussion about the the process that they use to select the pieces and maybe you know, the process that they're using is making it less effective to find pieces from underrepresented people. I think it's just, it's probably just more the transparency of like the format that the submission needs to be, what the piece, you know, those requirements for the piece for each section, I think is probably more. I think it's yeah, interesting that of, they're like submitting. Yeah. I mean, one of the things it. that, yeah, we don't necessarily have a submission process, but but we go out and search for pieces, you know, and we, and we've been able to find they, that now some of the pieces we have found, you know, don't meet the criteria like they're talking about. And we had to eliminate them for that. We found a couple of really good pieces from some Canadian female composers, you know, that didn't have the time limit met They, you know, they didn't have the feature the solos and, you know, but they were wonderful pieces of music. They just weren't, you know, competition pieces as they would say. Um, but we, we've been actively, searching for these things. And if you just wait for people to send in submissions, is that the best way, you know, versus, you know, actively trying to figure out what is out there and finding them because they may not know how to find us, um, you know, or they, they may not even realize that, that it's something that, that, that could be possible for them. So well, was there, well, I, was, I guess I'm asking is, did they have any discussion about that, you know, is the process that they're using helping their their mission for diversity well i would say two things first of all that's part of the reason why i went to the festival of brass was to seek out some of those potential test pieces and i think i found one that might be good for a lower section that you know i put in the pot there from i think it was an argentinian composer which i thought was kind of neat um, yeah. but also to be fair um 
I was like jet lagged, you know, <laughs> things would pop up during this discussion and my mind would just start to wander and run with that for a little bit. So I don't know that if I was in the audience, I might've had a better focus to answer your question, Tony, but um, I'm not sure I have all the details of their process. I only have what I heard and what I remember, because like I said, um, you know, just being in a room with with some of those people and knowing who's in the room watching us uh, can be a little bit nerve wracking at the same time. So I, I'm not 100% confident on all the details I just gave. That's just my recollection of it. So I think we should do some sort of mentorship program through through mm-hmm. NABA where like we find up and coming composers who have that potential and somehow get them to NABA so they can watch the bands play. They can kind of get in their minds better what a test piece is after hearing several test pieces and, and, you know, support more composers. Cause I feel like, like being in, in brass banding up, you know, for a certain amount of years, I, I see the same composers over and over and over. And it's so refreshing to have a different composer to play where I can't predict <laughs> what I'm going to yeah. see in, in the compositional style, you know? Um, yeah. And you know, you know what would, would change this like very quickly is if somebody picked a piece that would, that nobody knew and it won, you know, that like it is a, at the end of the day, it's a competitive activity, you know, so people are going to gravitate towards things that are mm-hmm. successful and we need some somebody to win with something, you know, that that's like, wow, we need to play that now. And 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 that'll turn things around. We yeah. uh, we commissioned it- we commissioned our own choice and we're terrified. It is it's not because we're afraid of the piece. We're afraid it's because it's not a spark or a harper or you know, whatever that the judges aren't gonna know what to do with it. Yeah. Well, I mean that I mean the thing that I will say is that with our with our adjudication orientations. You know, there is no criteria for using pieces that have been used before. That is not a consideration that the judges are going to be. They're going to be studying the scores and are going to be taking what they hear on its own merits. Okay. So, you know, theoretically, it shouldn't be a problem. You know, but it's also be interesting to see if it is. It's more the uh, the tonal language that composers use, especially if they were not, because a lot of the composers who uh, we adore in brass band land were born and raised in the system. They probably were not compositionally trained uh, outside of brass band, and they came up in brass band. They talk in brass band, and you keep in mind if you go into like American graduate school orchestration classes, they don't even mention the euphonium at all yeah much less yeah. cornet tenor horn e flat tuba you know all those sorts of things yeah um and so that's the terrifying it's not yeah it's not that like it's not that but it's like it's also not a theme in variations with a bunch of solos like which is what a lot of especially the second and, and first section pieces can become and it's not what they're you know what they're going to be expecting and so that's the i think that's the more scary thing but also if we don't do it we're not pushing the medium forward so yeah. right. And I, I care as a, as the artistic director who pushed this whole thing forward, I care more about doing that than necessarily winning, um, yeah. and putting that in there. And also it's a composer who's under 60 years old as well. Like <laughs> making that happen. Too. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, the, the other thing, the other thing that we, that we talk about a lot is to make sure that, that the adjudicators understand that this is an art contest. It's, it's not, you know, it's necessarily just, you know, are they playing this piece the way the brass band composer who wrote it 
needs it to be played, you know, which, which is, you know, we want the judges to go in there saying you have a blank screen and you have to take what they present and what, you know, how well they're doing, excuse me, you know, how well are they doing it? And are the decisions that they make artistically um, valuable and speak to the, the, you know, the emotions of the listener, regardless of whether or not it's the exact tempo that's marked in the score, or they took the Rallentando, you know, precisely as the composer intended it in the score, but did they do something that, that moved you and, you know, and not just like, this is a, a cookie cutter version of Laudate Dominum. And they played it the same way that everybody played it. And it's an academic exercise that they put it all in the box and do it all. And we don't want, we don't want that at our championships. We want to really push the medium in an artistic way. So, you know, so we, we talked to the judges about being open to that aspect of it. I remember um, talking to one judge who said something like the Texas, some of the like high school bands in Texas play so well that they take the music out of the music. If that makes sense. Uh, I, I don't know. We so could have a, accurate. we could have a, we could have a forever discussion about this because, you know, you, there's, there's there's an element of it that that if you don't play it well, you can't realize the score anyway. So you have to play a le- certain level of perfection before you can even begin to pull the music out of it. You know, um, you know. But I I don't know. I, I their jobs are not jobs I envy. That. That's for sure. Yeah, I do not envy no. their jobs. Yeah, I, I just to make everybody you know, because like if you judge, let's say you judge a section, you'll have like one to maybe three bands happy with what you said and then everybody else hates you <laughs> like, yeah, but, like instantly <laughs> I, th- I think it's also a matter matter of perspective because when you sit there and you listen to 20 band high school bands that all play so well that you're like well wait a minute none of these are standing out because they're all playing so well and they get numb to the fact that well maybe they're not making it well but they're kids and and kids inherently if you have the right circumstances with the director they're really easy to pull passion out of you know they're they're young and they're they're you know their emotions aren't dead from life and experiences that they they actually can play with a lot that i mean have you ever not heard the jmu brass band and not been like oh my god those kids are just killing it up there like they the excitement and the enthusiasm that they put into their playing and you know the the triangle the watson brass band it's the same thing you know, they are, they, those kids put everything they have into it. So I think it's just a matter of perspective in there. I think, but once you have a level of, of proficiency and the sonority and what, and the, the technical achievements of the bands, then you can really start to see, okay, now what are they doing artistically with it? I mean, it's been a very a long, long time. It's been a very long time since I heard a performance I didn't enjoy at NAVA, no matter where their placing ended up. You know, yeah, there were there were decisions made that like I was like, oh, okay, whatever, one way or the other. But like, it's, it's very rare that I'm like sitting there going, nah, they're not good. You know, it's <laughs> 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 like it's like, oh well, they didn't get that ready to go. You know, and you know, maybe I've been lucky and missed a bunch. I can't, we can't, you physically cannot make it to every performance. There's too many bands, but and two venues, yeah. And I think I just live for those moments where, and oftentimes I'll be backstage listening, you know, just because of the duties we have with Naba, where there's just like that full brass band sound that makes it feel like you're stepping into a hot tub, you know, that just warmth that just grabs you. Those are some of my favorite moments. Um, and it can be, 
in soft spots it can be in loud spots but it's just that you know like it just fills the room and you just feel warm and cuddly like a big blanket or something i don't know it was yeah, it, it was funny when you're you know doing the offstage interviews last year and being behind the percussion section i knew the pieces were about to end because i started to feel it and he's like <laughs> oh timpani's gone here we go <laughs> Yeah, the, that that stage floor it in the the concert hall there in Huntsville it does it does rattle a little bit, doesn't it? <laughs> well, especially yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Going and, back and I'll never forget. Uh, Found City, they come back there after they do their own choice, and we were all just like so in awe about how hard they hit the two bells. And I'll never forget the director comes off and we're like, how'd you get him to you know, do that? And he said, I told him to hit it and not miss. <laughs> and to say, going back to the repertoire thing, though, um, you know, getting the music out there, you, you, one way is that for bands to win with those pieces. But I'm really excited next year that on our YouTube channel will be whatever, seven, eight, nine recordings of Lucy Pankhurst's piece, you know, so yeah. that bands will get to hear that. And I think exposure that way helps as well because a lot of times when bands are looking at test pieces you can look at the score but they'll go oh is it on youtube is there a recording mm -hmm. you know very I, th I think very rarely do bands just go oh there's the score let's do it yeah i also think that's another thing that that nab is doing that that's probably going to be good in the long run um is putting all of our music on youtube for free you know the just so the Tons of access and exposure for all those bands. Yeah, we'll have to definitely relook at the metrics after this year's contest and see, you know, how many of those views are from overseas? How many are from what cities in the U.S. or states are we getting views from that aren't represented by bands that attend contests? And that might be a place to start reaching out to some more as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think also so go back to, to music when you talked about collaboration, Amy. Yeah. One of the things I've noticed in pop music is since about maybe what 2004, 2005, how many songs that make it in the charts are so and so featuring so and so? You know, we just don't see pieces that are co-composed. We see arranged by, but we don't see things where people have collaborated very much together. And I think that mentor thing could help there. And in fact, at the end of the session, they said if you could have a brass band piece written by any composer, living or dead um who would you pick and i said any brass band composer in taylor swift because i knew it'll i know it'll hit a new audience <laughs> that should be that would be a good like that would be a good question at the end of the episode like if you could have a brass band piece written by any composer who would well that was my answer so oh that, okay so that's that i guess that is is our officially our question of the the episode then isn't it Oh, I was I thought the question was going to be I, I was going to say who could Taylor Swift date to bring as much attention to brass banding as she brought to the Kansas City Chiefs. But we can roll with yours. It's just probably better. Anyway. <laughs> that, that, that's an interesting question, too. Because <laughs> <laughs> also most of the people I'd probably say are also married. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. That, oh, I don't man. think I don't think I want to get involved in that con that conversation at all. I wouldn't not on not while it's being recorded. No. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Although for the next tour, if you had a nice brass line from a brass band, you know, maybe six to eight pieces from a brass band that that brass band might gain. You, you can afford an entire brass band. Let's be honest. 
<laughs> we don't have to break them up. That's one of those things I'm pretty sure they would go, hey, would you, because they're like, like Southern, what was it, Southern University played with Usher on that halftime yeah. show? Yeah. They probably that was. Yeah, they probably didn't get paid for that. They, <laughs> like, they were like, yeah, you, it's a great opportunity to play on the halftime show, you know? Well, there, Although, there was a, I wish, um, I wish there was they would have gotten, I was just going to say. Wasn't there a halftime show one year that um, they offered a, the, the halftime show to a big artist and, and they said, well, how much do you pay for it? And they said, we don't pay, pay for this. And they were like, no, I'm not doing it. <laughs> I'm a professional musician. I'm not, I get paid to play. I'm not going to do your Boy, there's millions and millions of people that are going to watch this. And they're like, I don't care. I get millions of people to watch me anyway. You know? Sorry, I cut I, you off there, Pat. I, I was going to say, I wish they would have, like, publicized what band that was a little bit more. Because I had a tough time finding out which group it was. And I almost thought, like, there was no identifying things on the uniform. So I almost thought it was just a throw-together uh, group. The other thing about the Super Bowl halftime show is I was kind of mentioning that we're hanging out with some brass band fans watching it. I'm like, think of all the time they spent putting this halftime show together for one performance. Who does that? And I was like, says the brass band. <laughs> yeah, it's true. That's so, true. all right. So we're, what are we searching for? Composers that are not in the brass band space that we would want to have write a brass so, band piece. Live or Live or dead. So let's go. Let's go. Yes, go. Let's do the gambit. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, Omar Thomas right now. I would, I would want to hear something from Omar because he's from JMU. So I feel like he knows what to do with the brass band. He just hasn't had to do it yet. I'm, I'm pretty didn't, sure. Didn't Sound City just do an arrangement of Come Sunday at the at brass and concert? Yeah, but that's a that's an arrangement of a of a wind band piece. I want him to do a full on test piece. Twenty minutes of hurt. <laughs> I think I think that he could probably do that. I could. I, absolutely. Well, well, so far my pick was Mahler, so I think your your option is going to be easier to pull off than mine. <laughs> you think Mahler would be able to fit? Would be one too. Oh, Without Mahler, any necro necromancy, <laughs> I can't do one. If Mahler did a brass band test piece, it would last an hour. And a <laughs> Minimum, half. yeah. That does remind me, say. I don't know if you heard, but there's like a relatively new Heaton uh, variations. So he had finished, I think, like the first eight and the last ones were just a sketch. And then they finished filling them out. There's like a documentary Paul Hindmarsh did with Foden's band on it. Yeah. So kind of need to see them finish that up. But... Yeah. Right. I think I think I wish I could see uh, what Duke Ellington would do with a brass band. Ooh, ooh! That would be that would be he spectacular. That, he did the Nutcracker Suite, right? Yeah, he did. <laughs> he did a, a the Ellington Nutcracker. Yeah, he did. Yeah, just to, to see like something like that, you know, like just knowing he did that uh, to Tchaikovsky, I would love to see what he would do to a brass I would, band. I would love to see what kind of colors he could pull out of of a brass band. I think that that yeah. would be spectacular. The Ellington Year of the Dragon. That would be sweet. <laughs> Make it infinitely harder for all of us. I mean, I've been to some. I've been some of y'all's Christmas concerts and heard you try to swing. <laughs> but even even Ellington Ellington wrote spirituals. He wrote he wrote what operas, ballet. I don't know if he wrote an opera. I don't know. But he wrote in in so many different styles, and they were all so unique that I think 
I think that that he would be able to really pull something cool, whatever style it came out in. I think that that would be a really a really cool sound. That that's a really good one. That would work really well. What's yours, Pat? I I think I already told you my anybody in Taylor Swift collaborating, but um, I think <laughs> you know it's kind of funny whenever people ask my question like. Who do you think should be an adjudicator? What test piece do you think we should do? And I'm always like, you know, I'm not a music guy. Do you really want me making that decision? You know, that's just <laughs> why I turn it over to those committees when it comes to NAVA. Um, you know, I just pretend to be, but I still think I'd love to hear something by John Williams. Um, I was thinking some of the film guys would actually be really good. Yeah. Oh, man. Howard Shore would probably crush it too. He did Lord of the Rings stuff. Like, well, we, we do have some pieces by a film guy, Bruce Broughton. There, mm-hmm. there are some pieces by him. And, and you know, like I remember years and years ago, he did the Masters of Space and Time, which is a piece that I think if people went back and listened to it now, they would be like, this is what people are writing now. He was so far ahead with that piece. Well, that was um, supposed to be NABA and the British Open, and they didn't yeah. do it. But then yeah, I think it, the National Youth Brass Band of Great Britain played it many years later, and and people loved it when they finally heard them do. Yeah, it's I I I was one of the few, remember being the, one of the few people performing it that actually I just love that piece. It was so awesome and so much fun to play, and everybody's like, I don't like it, I don't like it, I don't, and I'm like, you guys are crazy. And now it's like the stuff that's being written now is, you know, it's very similar to that in a lot of ways. And it's like that piece needs a bit of research. We probably should pick that for Navis again you know that would be that would be huge fun I, I just don't even know what section it would be in now would it be first section now everything's first section that's the problem everything's first section if you don't yeah. know that's where we're it goes booked. <laughs> booked. <laughs> yeah so that, that's crazy well thanks for being with us on this pat it's been uh been awesome catching up on the, this stuff with you yeah i know it's always good to catch up with you three and hopefully uh we'll get to spend some time together in huntsville and a couple months here so yeah we're gonna try to do a physical one are we trying to do a podcast where we're all in a room together oh that would be something without amy having to go check in on kids and stuff the one where everyone's in the room together <laughs> the title. i they well, they are out won't... in the snow and they've been in and out in and out and i i if you're not watching the youtube uh of this um i keep i keep um turning my video off because they go in and out and they leave the outdoor door open behind me and so it's like letting 30 degree air into the house and I keep I keep turning off my video and going and then and then another boy will walk in and just leave it open so that's what I've been doing if you're watching the YouTube uh version of this yeah <laughs> uh, well unfortunately I won't be at the championships this year so you'll have to do a, a live version without me sadly we you might can- be able to find a replacement brass bander yeah, <laughs> there might be options. <laughs> there might be some uh, options. Well, Tony, have you missed have you missed a show yet? You've only missed like one, and I think even then you like showed up late, right? Um, yeah, the one we had to redo. Yeah, because oh somebody didn't record yeah. it correctly. So you can get one off, that, I guess. All of that, all of that, that uh, Gourlay Gold, you know, yeah. was missed. Yeah. Um, Shh, don't yeah, pull, don't. Get, I, that's like that's a current I'd rather not pull from <laughs> and show them backstage of that one. <laughs> yeah so i've been to most of them so I'll, i guess i'll miss it. no well you guys did one live um or did one down in the was it the women's brass conference oh yeah we did one in denton yeah. that's right 
that's yeah. that's my favorite show opener that we have because we are all just singing the the opening song. Except me, I'm just I'm looking miserable. <laughs> I don't Did handle it. I don't hand. I don't handle secondhand embarrassment very well. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's cool. Well, we'll uh, you know, we'll have to you know figure out a, yeah. a summertime thing where we just all get together and get a whole bunch of people together, maybe Dublin or something would be a good place to do that. Come to the Ohio Brass Arts Festival at the end of June. Yeah, that one. Yeah, that one. There's so many, there's so many of them in Columbus. It's, it's in Gahanna and Columbus. Which is real close to the airport, by the way. Mm-hmm. Cool. Let me see here. Directions. Did you, stop reco- did you stop the recording yet, Aaron? No. Uh,